0: The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Chris Sheeran Show podcast. It's your lovely and talented host, Chris Sheeran, with your lovely and talented producer and co-host, Doug Williams. Hi, how Doug. very modest of you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, we're both delightful. You should come out, hang out, have a couple of adult beverages. You'll see how delightful we are. Actually, Doug and I never had a couple of adult beverages together. We're we have can,
1: though. To, we're going to we, have
0: to change that. Yeah, thing. we should. We can and we should. We could commiserate on the Yankees, and we're going to get to them in a bit. But uh, the big news, not only around this building, but around the entire NBA, and you know, the NBA goes around the world. So maybe around the world. Not sure that they're um, you know, thinking about this in Kuala Lumpur, but uh, Jason Kidd is your new head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. And when this started breaking the other night and great job by uh, Tim Bontemps and uh, Mike Vaccaro, uh, you know, I just started shaking my head. It was Saturday. It was during the Yankee game and I was here for extra innings and this starts coming around on Twitter. And I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> the Bucks? What? What is going on? You know, then, you know, the little pieces of the story start coming out. Kid went to the Nets. He wanted to. He didn't want to get Billy King fired, but he wanted to supersede him in the hierarchy. That is the Nets right now. And Mikhail Prokhorov uh, basically, and and the Nets organization basically told Kid, get bent. It's not happening. And then you read the article by Mike Vaccaro, which was a great read, by the way. Uh, Vaccaro from the Post, and he brought up. You know, kids checkered past uh, when it comes to coaches <laughs> uh, back at Cal when he was 18. 18, he got his coach fired at Cal. And then, of course, you remember he comes to the Nets. And I'm fast forwarding a bit here, but he gets Byron Scott out of here. And then it was a power play when he wanted Rod Thorne to trade him to the Mavericks and And finally, Rod Thorne caved and said, fine, you know, this guy just has a sense of wearing you down, I guess. And then this past year, he puts Lawrence Frank on the TPS reports, and Frank, making $6 million, is relegated to sitting at home and typing up reports on his computer about the Nets instead of being on the bench. And Jason Kidd, who was in his first year as head coach, you look down the bench, the only one with, like, solid – nba assistant experience was roy rogers that was it and you know they get off to the 10 and 21 start they have a good second half doug but it's not like this team won the championship correct me if i'm wrong but greg popovich and the spurs won the title did they not
1: No, it's totally true, and that's what's so confusing about the story. Is there really anything all that impressive about where the Brooklyn Nets ended up? I mean, we thought maybe they were going to compete for an Eastern Conference title, and in reality, they really never did that. So it would be as if uh, he won the title with a diminished roster and said, by the way, I really deserve a promotion. I think I should run all of the basketball operations. I think I should be the coach. And he did that, but with not a great coaching resume. He has one year of coaching under his belt. If you're Phil Jackson and you require that much power, I understand that because maybe you want more than being a coach. You want to have job security and be your own boss because you've been doing that for so long and won so many titles. Okay, I understand that. But That's Phil Jackson, yeah. (laughs) This is just... This is a power trip. It is. That's all it is. It's a power
0: trip. It absolutely is. And, you know, didn't he ever see coming to America? You know, Louie Anderson, he had a washed lettuce. Then he's on fries. Then he's the assistant manager. You have to take your time with these things. But, kid, you know, he's been yes to death his whole life. Think about it. He's a star athlete for his entire life, and he's yes to death. And some of these guys who never hear no, when they hear no, this is the this is what happens. So a couple of second round picks, and Jason Kidd goes to Milwaukee and get this. Since the ninety one ninety two season, help me out with the addition here, Doug, uh or subtraction. Twenty fourteen. So what is that? Twelve years? Since the what? Twenty, no. Twenty no, twenty two years. Yep. Twenty three years. I was a communications major. Uh, math is 1992 not 1992 would be 22 22 years. years. 22 years. The Bucks have had four winning seasons. They won 15 games last year. Hey Jason. Enjoy Milwaukee. Enjoy those winters. I I don't understand it. I, I get that he's he, his boy is the owner. I get that. But all of the speculation that they were making him the president, he wasn't even going to be on the sidelines. That was one of the facets of this whole story that trickled down. He wasn't even going to coach. He was just going to be the president of basketball operations. But now <laughs> he's just the head coach. So you go from basically the biggest – no, you go from the biggest city in America and trying to build a winner in Brooklyn to Milwaukee? It doesn't make any sense. But if you listen to what my partner said about a minute ago, it makes perfect sense. It is a power trip. And Jason Kidd has power tripped himself to basketball Siberia.
1: Right. That's exactly right. That's very well put. And I will say, I mean, we have seen Jason Kidd's true colors a lot of times. In off the court things, he's done great things on the court. He was terrific as a New Jersey net. He was terrific as that kind of back backup point guard role for the Knicks. He
0: was electric. And for he every was great team he for, the, for. for the
1: 2011 Mavericks. But in general, he is a coach killer, like you said earlier, and we shouldn't be looking for reasons like we are. When in reality, it's clear that this is just this guy's personality. Now, the, the the argument is: I think it could have been one year with Darren Williams was enough for him. To <laughs> <know>. <laughs> it might be true. They obviously did not see eye to eye, but here's that's the not argument. even
0: a joke either. And and they were they were friends coming in.
1: And I, I'm being completely serious, Chris. Do you think that this move had anything to do with the future of the Brooklyn Nets? Do you think Jason Kidd said? This is an old roster. I want to get out of here. Because I don't think that's the case. A lot of people do. Because I don't think Milwaukee's future is that much brighter, to be honest. Well, I know they drafted know they Jabari, Jabari Parker. Parker. That's one guy.
0: And they have Giannis Atenacumbo. Uh <laughs> But, you know, you're, you have to build around these guys. That That's not going to get you in the playoffs next year. Jabari Parker and Atenokounmpo? And I don't think so. I, th- that's why this makes no sense to me. I think Kid painted himself into a corner. I thought, I think that he went in there expecting the Nets to just say, "Okay," mm-hmm. and now he's in Milwaukee. You know what? Good. I'm, I'm glad. I, I'm, I'm so glad to see this happen. We won't have to sit there and listen to these post-game press conferences where he just looks at the camera and smiles and gives you absolutely nothing. This is the reason I loved P.J. Carlissimo. This is the reason I loved Avery Johnson, who I think should still be there. And this is going to be the Nets' fourth coach in the last 19 months. That's a great Fourth coach in the last 19 months! How do you win like that? You know, Mikhail Prokhorov, for all of his business savvy and and how he wanted to bring a championship within the first five years that he purchased this team, I, I don't know what's going on. Maybe he, you know, he's too caught up in, in his dealings in Russia, but he needs to spend a little bit more time on his basketball team in Brooklyn. He does. I got to be brutally honest here, because you look at this. In a span of two hours, Doug, you had the kid story break, and then Andre Blatch's Instagram had F Brooklyn on it. In a matter of two hours, I mean, you couldn't put Wiley Coyote screwing down the dynamite plunger quick enough on the Brooklyn Nets who just made it to the second round and could have beaten the Heat. They had opportunity to beat Miami in the second round. And in two hours, once the season ends, this team is going to hell in a handbasket. What's going on?
1: And I don't know. I know you don't have the answer. I'm trying to think if there's any (laughs) – listen – the one bright spot for the Nets, I think, I you know, I can't claim to be the the biggest Nets expert in the X's and O's, but Joe Johnson really shined last year as a star of this team and the go-to guy. He's not just a pure shooter. He definitely was. He's a terrific shooter definitely and a was. terrific athlete. He put the team on his back. But. Other than that, I mean, they're going to lose. They've lost Andre Blatch already, obviously. They've lost Allen Anderson. Well, he they're said losing. he was hacked. They're losing a lot of the you know little pieces that helped them last year. Now they, they're they old and, and beat up and without a coach. They need to hire a coach if they're planning yeah. on, on signing any high-level free agents. Oh, Paul
0: Pierce is in the wind. Kevin Garnett is in the wind, even though, I mean – Kevin Garnett was done this past year. He, he gave you good minutes in the playoffs. He, I don't want to completely poo-poo Kevin Garnett because he did give you good minutes in the playoffs, but he was a ghost during the regular season. And, you know, he he starts the game. He's basically out four minutes later, and he's not coming back in until the end of the second quarter. I, I don't really know what that does for your team. And then he missed a stretch of like 19 to 25 games with the back spasms. Uh, and, and like I said, he did come back and give Jason Kidd some good minutes in the playoffs, but – You got to cut ties with this guy. He's a roster spot. You know who knows what they're going to have in Brook Lopez next year. But first things first. In order for the rest of the dominoes to fall into place, you need to get a head coach. Exactly. Paul Pierce isn't going to sign with the Nets until they have a head coach, and it's got to be a head coach that he's going to want to play for. If you ask me, and I dealt with Lionel Hollins when he was with the Grizzlies when they played the Nets, I think he's the perfect fit. For this team. I that's really exactly do. what I said earlier today. And I hope Billy King goes in that direction. Now, Hollins might not take the job, but ah, that's the guy they have to bring in. And they need the guy to come in and put his foot down. And guys like Darren Williams, hey, it's my way or there's the door. We'll find a place for you to go. That's what this has to be. Enough with this coddling of the superstars. They need a guy to come in, lay the law down and then adhere to those laws. This team, who, as you said, is up in the air right now with as, as far as the talent goes and as far as the free agents coming back here. You don't know if Paul Pierce is going to come back. You know Kirilenko is back in the fold. But this this is just bizarre. I've never seen – I've been following sports my entire
1: life. I've never seen anything like this. I said the exact same thing today about uh, Lionel Hollins. Um, People say Mark Jackson, and as great as Mark Jackson is, he did well with a young team in Golden State. And people are saying Messina, the guy from uh, Italy. But you don't want a young or inexperienced coach coming in because – like you said, he'll coddle the superstars. He'll be afraid or to make the, su- the difficult decisions. The inmates decisions. will run the asylum. Right. You can you cannot have that with this you team. You need a veteran coach who, you know, in Lionel Collins's case, he brought, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies to the Western Conference Championship yeah. 2 years ago. Yeah. So
0: and Then he got fired.
1: Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Classic NBA. But George Carl was the coach of the year, <laughs> fired. Just remember that that might not be the sexy pick. When when the Nets hire a coach, but if they get Collins, that's the right decision and a very solid coach. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you know a lot of people saying Lawrence Frank. Uh, listen, it, it, he's right there. He he's in the wings and he's getting paid to do reports right now and nothing else. Yeah, I'm but gonna need those exactly. TVX reports. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to need you to come in on Saturday. Yeah. Um, Lumber. <laughs> But this is this is why you cannot have Lawrence Frank. Coach this team. I love Al Frank. Thought he was a great coach. Think he is a great coach. But he was put out to pasture. And if you bring him back, you think these guys are going to respect Lawrence Frank? You think they're going to get behind what Lawrence Frank has to say? Correct me if I'm wrong. Lawrence Frank's ship has sailed here. He could get another coaching job elsewhere in the NBA. But after what happened last year, when he was basically, I can't use the word I want to use, it was in my head, but sometimes the mouth works faster than the brain, but this time the brain worked faster than the mouth, so I'm going to keep it to myself. But the way he was treated was unreal. I understand that to an extent the treatment needed to be done because the team needed to move forward and there couldn't be any controversy on the bench with who was calling a play. And But for the first half of the season when the Nets did go 10-21, and 21, Jason Kidd didn't even get up off the bench. He, I, I don't know what was going on with that team, and I think that was getting to Frank. And I think that's why you started having those back and forths and the tete a tete's, and you know, it finally came to a head in Orlando in early November, and uh, Frank was gone.
1: Yeah, I thought I would never say this, at least for the you know foreseeable future, but looks like uh, the Nets are the more dysfunctional basketball team in New York right yeah.
0: now. Yeah, who who have, who. Have, Thunk that. I mean, everybody it, it just it seems like right now, unless they get Hollins and write and the ship immediately, and I think that's what Billy King has to do. He can't make any rash decisions, and he's gonna take his time to be, you know, dot all the I's and cross all the T's. But the Knicks right now are the more grounded franchise. Who who in in a million years, a month ago, or, or before they hired Phil Jackson, did would you think in the next five years the Knicks would be on the going to the high road or the Nets?
1: Yeah, I mean obviously it, it's smart what they've done. The Knicks, it's it's kind of like, all right, we make this big trade, we get somehow mm-hmm. they got a suitor for Raymond Felton. I mean that is a miracle, but they're going in the right direction. And then right now the the Nets, they've got to clean up their act a little bit. Now it's not their fault. That Jason Kidd did this, really? I mean, it really isn't. I guess looking back on it, it's their fault for hiring him, but they could have never seen this. I've never seen—I've never seen anything like this. Listen, it, it just—picture
0: someone with a backhanded slap of a best friend who just did the biggest favor for them in their entire life. To me, that's what this is with Jason Kidd. They hire this guy. They coddle to his every need. They get Paul Pierce. They get Kevin Garnett. Then they bring in kid. That was after they got them. So be it. Then they retire his number. They have a night and retire his number. And he he pulls this? To me, I'm sorry, but there has to be a certain amount of loyalty. I get these are businesses being run. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's the way I was raised, but you should be loyal to your company. You should, if they're loyal to you, that should be reciprocal. And Jason Kidd, for how the nets bent over backwards while he was a player here to the time they brought him back as a coach. I could see five, six years down the line and he was successful as a head coach, maybe brought in a championship. This was one year. That's what makes it hard to wrap your head around entirely. I just sat there, like with a furrowed brow, saying, "What is? What is he doing?" I, I followed this guy since he's in C- since he was at Cal. He was a big point guard guy. You know, he's my age. Kind of look like him. <laughs> it's my. Sort of claim to fame. <laughs> I got that, you know, BP show every once in a while. But, you know, it was tough not to like him. I was a point guard in high school. I loved guys like Nash. I loved guys like Kidd. But it, it's it's hard to love this guy after he does something like this. And I, you know I'm a Nick fan. When he came over with Martin and Jefferson... The Nets were a fun team to watch. I mean, golly. Look, I didn't think we're going to
1: spend 19 minutes on this. I know, but, <laughs> but know it's what? kind of impossible not to. It's, it's it's a sad story because you can tell that he just felt like he had the Nets in the palm of his hand. He did. He had everything going
0: for him, you know, and he just walked in 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 minutes. He he wildly kayoed himself in the, in the dynamite shed. He did. And, you know, I just hope that this doesn't set the Nets back. 10 years. I'm hoping Billy King is able to rally this team, get a coach, bring in some guys that could win some basketball games because it's just an abomination. It's an abomination. And again, Doug, the King
1: of segues. I was about to say, give me your best segue. I was actually going to stop you in the middle of the sentence and say, all right, give give me your best segue into the Yankees.
0: Doug has been doing this with me too long. Um, the Yankees' offense <laughs> is an abomination. I mean, let's face it, folks. They they go out there Friday, they shut the Red Sox out. The Red Sox coming into the Yankees series after actually this was after that two one win on Saturday night. The last week of games, they were scoring under three runs per game, under three runs per game. The Yankees shut them out Friday, behind who? Vidal Nuno. Masahiro Tanaka, and Doug and I talked about this before we came up. We had a little pre-production meeting before we come up here. It's not long, trust me, but it's easy for us to do this, really. We go back and forth. We know what we're talking about, at least I think we do. But uh, we talked about this beforehand. Masahiro Tanaka, yes, he shook off a splitter from Brian McCann. Yes, he shook off a slider from Brian McCann. Doug, what did basically no one talk about? about Masahiro Tanaka's performance. The fact that the
1: Yankees didn't have a lead when he gave up that
0: home run because they scored one run. One run. Kind of like Harry Doyle in the broadcast booth for the Indians. One hit. That's all we got is, you know, the expletive. Hit. One run. And that night, Saturday, against John Lester. I don't want to hear it was John Lester. Who's John Lester? Sandy Koufax? And the lineup the Yankees ran out, Alfonso Soriano, by the way, is lost. He's he, His last home run he hit, May 17th, he's 12 for 67 since then. You know what that is, boys and girls? A 179 batting average. His on base, his on base is 190. 190. Now, I know this guy can go off. He had a stretch of 58 games last year when he came over for the from the Cubs. He hit 17 home runs and drove in like 50 RBI. But he's lost. Carlos Beltran, before Sunday night's game, he was two for his last 25. He has the home run. He has three hits, a home run, a double, a single. So maybe you heard Joe Girardi afterwards. Somebody asked him. Is this a sign of maybe him getting out of it? And Girardi just said, "I hope so." <laughs> I mean, what's he supposed to say? But you know, Beltron has been lost. Teixeira, I, I can't get on him too much. He's been he's been hitting the ball. His average doesn't reflect it, but he's been hitting the ball. But Saturday night against John Lester, bottom of the third, one run. They had second and third, one out after the Gardner sacrifice. Jeter grounds out, runs scores, they get one run. Second and third, one out. Bottom of the sixth, Gardner leads off with a single. Then he gets gunned out. Two more singles. Teixeira and you your two big bombers coming up. Out. Out. Lester out of the inning. They had opportunities. These are the opportunities especially when Tanaka's pitching that you have to cash in on. This guy goes out there. He makes two mistakes, one to Cody Ross. And maybe it was maybe it was Tanaka saying, you know what? I'm going to blow this guy away. Maybe it was a personal challenge for him. I don't want to throw a splitter. I don't want to throw the slider. I want to blow this guy away. He wanted to make a statement. Made a mistake. And the location wasn't bad either. Napoli just he put a good swing on it and he barely got it over the wall and right. And then he comes in a dugout and he's laughing and he says, What an idiot. Which people, you know, Yankee fans got their collective panties in a bunch. It's it's a guy playing baseball. These are these are big kids. And Tanaka was an idiot. <laughs> Let's be honest. He even alluded to the fact that he was after the game himself. Let's make one thing perfectly clear, though. If Alex Rodriguez, and I got to tip the cap to Troy Benjamin, my producer, over the weekend. If Alex Rodriguez <laughs> came in the dugout and called a Red Sox pitcher an idiot, my goodness. We'd have discussions on SportsCenter. We'd have knockdown dragout conversations around the water cooler. But it was Mike Napoli. So the story, which to me, either guy saying it isn't a story, dies about eight hours after it happens. I don't know how you felt about it, but I want to get your thoughts.
1: I feel very similar to you, and I want to get your, your take on a few things. Um, first of all, Napoli was clearly quoting Chaz Reinhold of Wedding Crashers, Will Ferrell's character, <laughs> talking about the guy whose funeral he met a girl at. Saying, like, he's, look, honey, take a picture of me. I'm dead. What an idiot. So he's clearly quoting him. So I didn't take offense to it. Um, I felt the exact same way uh, about Tanaka's fastball as you did. I think because we're both pitchers. Right. I did that a lot. Sometimes throwing off speed to a guy with power, even though it's technically the right thing to do, the idea of hanging one is always in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. If you feel like, think about it. It was the last pitch he was going to throw. He knew that. He had two strikes and two outs on Napoli. He thought, I've been saving up this fastball all game. I have a 96-mile-an-hour fastball in the tank. I want to blow him away. I don't want to get caught hanging a splitter because my arm's a little tired. I want to blow him away. Save that thought for a second. And before
0: you go on, I just want to say, because it's fresh in my head, he deserved it. He threw eight. And how many outs were there when when he came when Napoli came up? I think one. He threw eight and a third innings of pretty much pristine baseball. If he wants to shake McCann off and get this guy out the way he wants to get him out, so be it.
1: Yeah, he earned that right. He did. And if, if he thought that that was the last pitch he was going to throw, blow him away. You can do it. I mean, I, I did not get that up in arms about one pitch. Um, the other thing I will say about this Yankees offense, Chris. I I like Joe Girardi. I think he's generally a very good manager. But this year, he has had an inability, to me, to stick to his guns with that offense. He is. A, we all know Joe Girardi likes to cycle people in and out and rest people, and that's a big part of his job as a manager. But think about Brian McCann, and think about Carlos Beltran and Alfonso Soriano. Most of them are not playing every day. Carlos Beltran... For the last four or five games, Girardi stuck with him. Look what happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. Looks like he's finally back in a groove.
0: And Soriano's a guy that you need to run out there. Right. He's
1: never going to come right. out Right, exactly. It. So if I'm Joe Girardi, I understand putting each year out there. He's hitting 300. Why not? And if I'm Joe Girardi with Kelly Johnson and Solarte, I understand running Solarte out there. Why not? But you need to give this, these guys a chance. Play them four or five straight games. Mm-hmm. Let them get in a groove. Brian McCann, when he goes three for four, don't play Francisco Cervelli the next night. Let
0: the utility guys be utility guys. Right,
1: he will recover enough to play. It's not going to kill them to play two straight games. So, in my opinion, I think the slump of Alfonso Soriano in particular is solely on the shoulders of Girardi. You got to give him a chance. You're paying him like a starter now. You need to let him be one.
0: Yeah, and like I said, the guy can go off at any time. I know he's another year older. But if he could come over here last year from the Cubs and have that stretch with the Yankees, don't you think if he gets a couple, he's going to yeah. he's gonna start yeah. again? He's a streaky hitter.
1: But you're not going to have that good side of streakiness if you're not playing every day. Like, if you're a streaky bench player, you're not in the big leagues because bench players aren't allowed to really be streaky. Alfonso Serrano is a starter. Yeah, and Chase
0: Whitley's a reliever. So people who put all their eggs in the Chase Whitley basket. We, I think we mentioned it on the last podcast that the bubble was going to burst sooner or later. You're you're basically dealing with the number one, and I was respectful with Corotta calling him a, a four on another team, but you could really look at this as a one in, ta- in Tanaka and four fives. Really? And your offense has to come to play every night. You know, with a lackluster pitching staff. And let's, listen, another thing that that shot out at me. One thing on Tanaka and then the the Yankees pitching Sunday night. Tanaka, in the first inning, he faced Napoli. This is why I scratched my head on that fastball. But then, after I thought about it a while, I had my attitude that we just discussed. But in the first inning, or second inning, he faced Napoli. I forget which one it was. But he had him 1-2 just like he did in the ninth, but he nibbled and he walked him. He was a pitcher, you know, he's like, all right, I'm not going to let this guy beat me. It was a slider that just missed on the outside corner. It was a splitter that just missed. So that got me thinking on Saturday night, like why was he so careful against him there? He had an out, you know, he's pitched such a great game. Why did he challenge? But, you know, he he, he had his reasons. And I think he earned that right. I really think he did. He, he pitched his rear end off. There's the mind working faster than the mouth again. Uh, congratulations to me. But he pitched his rear end off. He deserved that. Now, Sunday night, Masahiro Tanaka will bring him back up. In his last four starts, he walked five batters total. Sunday night, the Yankee pitching staff, by the fifth inning, five walks. Five walks against a Red Sox team that hasn't been hitting. Has not been hitting. They finished with eight walks. You're not going to win too many ball games when your collective pitching staff walks eight batters. Sunday night baseball at its finest on ESPN. Eight walks.
1: Red Sox Yankees. Anything to make that game closer to four hours. By the way, they threw over 200 pitches. Yeah. Their whole staff last night. 200 pitches. Can't do that. And we've, by the way, we've been very kind to the Yankees pitching. We've been saying it's not their problem. Uh, You know, talking about how the offense has has to carry these guys. Well,
0: last night it was. Right. Or Sunday night, I should say. Don't want to date it. I, I just did. But whatever. It's so hard not to date these things. But... You know we have to we have to tell it like it is. There's no way to sugarcoat this. The Yankees right now with the offense playing, the, and now look, they're allowed to have a stinker here and there. It doesn't get any easier with the Rays coming in either. And how about this for a stat? Chris Archer has made four starts against the Yankees. Four. He's four and zero with a 1-2-6 ERA. Good luck with all that. <laughs> I mean, when that when you see those, you know, striped stirrups coming to the mound, it's basically lights out for the New York Yankees. So, I, I, listen, this is the kind of game, though, that the offense could collectively break out. And what I was thinking about earlier today was, you know, sometimes you get individual guys going through their slumps which you could, you could weather that storm. You can't weather the entire lineup or most of the lineup going through a slump at the same time. And that's what this has been. This offense was supposed to, according to the experts, and I have to say that I agreed with them, it was supposed to compete to score the most runs in not only the American League, but maybe the majors this year. If they played to the back of their baseball card. But right now they're not worth the stick of gum that you put in the baseball card that is stale and winds up, you know, losing flavor in 30 seconds. This offense has to turn things around and turn things around quick. And here's why it's on them this year. Last year it was on the pitchers cause they had no offense. And you know, we, we talk about this ad nauseum, they need to step up and step up now because you, me, Doug, Anybody doesn't know what CC Sabathia is going to be when he comes back. He started his rehab, his 30-day clock, to get back up here. We don't know what Michael Pineda is going to be if he even comes back. So the pitching staff is in flux. Pretty much, I'm thinking, the rest of the season. The offense has to look itself in the mirror. And look, you can't have pep talks in baseball. They do nothing. Baseball is not football. You can't take a five-hour energy and hit the ball better. You could hit the guy across from you better. In football, doesn't work in baseball. And it doesn't work if Derek Jeter gets on a little step ladder and has a you know heart-to-heart with his teammates. One of those closed-door players-only meetings. Joe Girardi could throw chairs. He, he doesn't do that. I, at least I don't think he does. But that doesn't help when you step in the batter's box. That only makes you press more. Especially when you're veterans. These guys don't. 37, 38, 39, 40-year-old guys don't react to that nonsense. That rah-rah, boom ba like 19-year-old, I have to get pumped up, or 16-year-old in high school have to get pumped up. Look in the mirror. After you put that uniform on, Walk by a mirror. Know what you're wearing. Know what you represent. And go out there and hit the ball. Put in the extra time. Help out this pitching staff. Because I'm telling you right now, any one of these teams, you know what I pictured earlier? The AL East in September, and I truly believe the Rays are going to be right back in it. Don't do not count the Tampa Bay Rays out. Don't. They have one of the best managers in the game, and they have pretty damn good pitching staff. September 1st, mark it down. I don't think any team is going to be further than six and a half games out. Think about it. Right now, the way Toronto's been playing. The Yankees could have ran away with this division. Not ran away, but got, got themselves a the lead. The Orioles could have got themselves a the lead. If the Blue Jays were winning, they could have put the division, you know, a little comfortable cushion. But September 1st, did you ever play Hungry Hungry Hippos? When you were a kid? All the little marbles in the middle? They represent wins. There's five hippos or four hippos around.
1: That's what the AL East is going to be in September. Buckle up. And I know, I know, this is something you're interested in, Chris. Rob Refsnyder. I retweeted you last is night. Is in AAA. Mm-hmm. And he's hitting 536 in his last ten games, and he's nine for his last fourteen. Call him up. He's hit over 330 at both levels this year. And guess where he plays? He plays second base, a position that the Yankees have gotten almost no productivity. What's Brian out of. Roberts? Brian Roberts is hitting, I think, two thirty nine, maybe. And what about his last? I thought I think you tweeted last ten. He's he's three for his last twenty. I mean, these are the kind of things. Zoilo Almonte is hitting home runs at every level. He's going to come up and take somebody's job before too long. I mean, don't don't think that the Yankees brass doesn't want to do this. It makes them look good to have guys coming out of the minor mm-hmm. leagues and playing. Obviously, nobody wants a guy with a massive contract to be on the bench, but these things are going to start to happen if people don't start producing. So I like your call to arms, Chris, these guys are playing for their jobs. I mean, people are going to start getting DFA'd if, if this doesn't work out. It comes down to
0: accountability, personal accountability. And the Yankees are very dangerously close to falling off the cliff. They are. You could only be... Now look, the only reason why they're in a position they're in right now is because the rest of the AL East has been mediocre along with them. But sooner or later, don't you think the Orioles have a run in them? The Rays have a run in them? The defending champions have a run in them? They got Clay Buckholtz back. They have to start hitting as well. You know, we're talking about... We talked about it a couple weeks ago. These two teams, the Yankees and Red Sox, who are perennial... Run scoring machines, you know, 1-2 in the majors, they're in the 20s. In the 20s. These offenses have to step up. The Yankees offense finally has to just step up. It doesn't have to be all nine guys. That would be nice. You got to get big hits. You know what, if they're shifting on you, I know this goes against popular thought. Lay down a bunt. Keep getting on. Make them stop shifting. Do something. One one last thing I want to touch on before we sign off for this one, Doug. And I tweeted it last night. And people misconstrued what I said for plunking somebody. But what I tweeted was... Mark Teixeira hit a home run on John Lackey. He didn't posterize him. He ran around the bases like he's supposed to. But the next time Teixeira got in the box, you know what the first pitch was? Under his chin. He came inside. And the fans oohed and odd like he threw at him. No. John Lackey's old school. John Lackey's a pitcher. That's how you pitch. You make the batter uncomfortable in the batter's box. That's your God-given right to do that as a pitcher. Can someone, anyone, in the Yankees staff come inside on David Ortiz? I'm not saying hit him. I don't want anybody to get hit. That's asinine. You know, those days with Don Drysdale and Bob—they're—they're they're done. Policing the game as a pitcher, it's dangerous. We know certain things now, and especially headhunting. How many times did Derek Jeter get hit and, you know, and, and something wrong with his hand? Wasn't it Jeter and Soriano who got hit back-to-back by the Pedro? Same game, yeah. yeah. I don't want anybody hit. I don't want anybody hurt. But you have to start pitching. David Ortiz has 450 career home runs. Chase Whitley couldn't have put it on a tee. Better last night for him. And it wasn't just, you know, just clearing the fence. It was in, it was into the section 203 where Bald Vinny is. Not at his row. It was in a section. It was a bomb. Come inside. Make the guy uncomfortable. And I'll tell you right now, Jose Ramirez was throwing gas last night. And he was throwing two seamers that were tailing away from that guy. And he couldn't catch up. He could not catch up. That's the first time I think in a long time I've seen David Ortiz overmatched. And they were two-seamers, and they were away from him. That's fine, but make the guy uncomfortable. Have him guess. He's not guessing when you're not making him uncomfortable. He's able to lean over the plate, and he's able to destroy it. That's why he's so successful. I don't know if it's like a respect around the league or what. I know some people have come inside on him. And, and hey, Poppy, I don't, I don't need you staring down a pitcher because I've seen it happen that they come inside and you stare him down like he just almost hit you in the head. Pitchers are allowed to do that even to
1: you. Yeah, I have the same opinion on Poppy. I think he's earned respect. He has. in I'm Boston. taking that away from him. I think him. he's earned respect in Boston, but I don't think he's earned respect anywhere else. No. He's not a surefire Hall of Famer. I mean – He's a designated hitter who's hit over 450 home runs. It's just you need people need to start pitching him like they're not afraid of him. And that, that's a great example. Chase Whitley, I, I wanted him to do the same thing. It didn't happen. And Whitley gives up the home run. He hits a bomb. And what
0: does he do? He takes the bat, and he flips it and shows up Whitley. Now, that to me, again, I'm not saying plunk him, but it de- he deserved to be brushed back at the very least. It is next at bat and nothing, nothing. I, it, it boggles my mind. It boggles my mind. How you could so blatantly show up a picture and, and, and not have any consequences. All right. I'm out of my ivory tower. I'm off my soapbox. I've said enough, Doug, anything? No, I am too. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this one. A 43 minute spectacle of sports talk here on the Chris Sheeran show. Don't forget. I didn't remind you at the beginning. I'll remind you now. And if you made it till now, you are a diehard Chris Sheeran show fan and we respect you. And if you tweet us that you got this far, I have to get you a, a free t-shirt or something. I have to, maybe I'll reach into my, uh, yes shirts and, and I'll, uh, I'll FedEx you a polo or something. I don't know. But, uh, if you tweet me that you made it this far and no skipping ahead, that's cheating. Uh, I'm going to quiz you on some of the things we talked about just in case. That's how Smart. You, that's how you get a polo. But anyway, for Doug Williams, I'm Chris Shearn. You can download this on iTunes for free 99 or you can go to yesnetwork.com the easy way and check us out as well. Till next time, thanks for listening, everybody.